Well, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Wayne. I have the honor and privilege of being the lead pastor here at Saints Community Church, where we are one church in two locations with the same mission, and that is that we're reaching imperfect people to follow a perfect Jesus. I don't think I asked this question last week, but I want to get back to asking this question. How many of you did something this week to prove that you are an imperfect person? Lift up your hands. Okay. I see spouses nudging each other. You did, honey. I know you did. You know, so it is good if you feel like, man, I'm a messed up person. Can I really come into the house of God? The answer is welcome to the club. We're just a bunch of messed up people following who we believe is the only perfect one, and that is Jesus Christ. Over the next few weeks, we are going to be uh, entering into a new series we're starting this morning called Ephesians, A Better Way of living. Ephesians, a better way of living. We're going to be diving into a book that's actually part of the New Testament that's called Ephesians. Now, this book was written by a guy named Paul, and uh, Paul, other than Jesus himself, is probably the most influential leader in all of, of Christianity. In fact, he wrote over half of what is called the New Testament. The New Testament is just the, the part of the Bible that was written post after Jesus was on the planet. They wrote what's called the New Testament. And Paul wrote over half of the New Testament himself. One of the greatest authors, I think actually the greatest author in all of, of the Bible, wrote the most books at least. And, um, and he's writing this from a jail cell. This is a guy that uh, had a a really rough past. In fact, he was one that was persecuting Christians, and then he had this powerful firsthand experience with Jesus himself, rearranged his whole life, and then he becomes like the ultimate Christian leader, and he ends up in jail because of what he had done for God. He had started all these churches and was preaching the gospel all across the world, and and he ends up in jail, and he writes this book from a jail cell to this this group of people that were in a city called Ephesus. Everybody say Ephesus. Now the reason it's called Ephesians is because it was written to a group of people in Ephesus. So it would be like if somebody wrote a letter to New Orleans, they would call it what? They would call it New Orleanians. Yeah, yeah, so it's kind of the same principle there. And he's writing this letter to this group of people in Ephesus. Now let's dive into just for a second about what Ephesus is. Ephesus is a, a major city uh, during that time. It was a, a major trade city. There were, it was a seaport, and there were a lot of goods that were going in and coming out uh, of Ephesus. It was a hub for politics and, and business. In fact, it was uh, probably one of the greatest cities really ever. In fact, they had these great structures. It was known for its great structures. They had a great theater in Ephesus that actually seated 50,000 people. It was like the Superdome before the Superdome existed kind of thing. And this city was not only a hub for politics and business, it was also a hub for Christianity. In fact, it was the, probably where Paul spent the most time. It's, it's actually known as like the third capital of Christianity. So there would have been Rome, there would have been Jerusalem, and there would have been Ephesus. So he's writing to this group of people, and what I want you to do is I want you to imagine uh, him writing from his jail cell, and then what history tells us is that he would write these letters, and most of the time, 
he would write these letters to different people groups, these different believers in cities because there was a problem. So there'd be a problem in Corinth and so Paul would have to take care of the problem and he'd have to do it all through writing or there'd be a a problem in Thessalonica and he'd have to take care of that in, in writing. But this book is actually different in that Paul is not writing to solve any problems. He's just writing to make them better. He's just writing to go, hey, there's a better way of living. I wanna help you win at this thing called following Jesus, being a Jesus follower. So he's writing this from a jail cell, and what happens is different people would come and they would visit him, and, I, and, and when, he, when somebody would come visit him, he'd hand the letter to somebody in the, in the jail cell and say, hey, I know you're going back to Ephesus to see all the believers there, I want you to go ahead and circulate this letter. So he'd hand them that letter. So I want you to imagine the, the jail cell there, and he's writing this letter, you know, felt tip uh, pen kind of deal. I don't know, you know, I can just imagine. I don't know if they did the dipping thing or, or whatever back in that day. And, and then he would write the letter, and then he would hand it to somebody that's, that was going back to Ephesus that was uh, visiting him in jail, and he'd say, please make sure this gets in circulation to all of the believers because I want the people in Ephesus to win. And look this way. You know what I want for all of us? I want us to win. My goal is not just that you would serve Jesus today, but that you would get better at serving Jesus and that you would serve Jesus until you see him face to face. And so we're starting this series because we want everyone that considers Saints Community Church their home to get better at this and to win at following Jesus. So he starts in chapter one. We're not gonna read verses one through 14. You can take time to read that on your own later if you want to, but basically it's like a run-on sentence, if you will, verses one through 14 of like Paul counting all of the different blessings that, that we get because we are followers of Jesus. There's some incredible stuff, some incredible blessings. If you ever just wanna cheer yourself up, go to Ephesians chapter one and read verses one through 14 and go, oh man, my life is pretty good. I got a lot of things happening in my life because of Jesus. And then we enter into verse 15 that we're gonna study today and before we read what I believe is a life-changing passage, I believe that this is a, a passage that is gonna be a game changer for all of you that are in this room. Before we read that, I want to just take a moment and I wanna just paint a picture for you. The picture that I wanna paint for you is bedtime at the Northup House. Now we're gonna go back a few years, we're gonna go back into when my two older kids were actually younger. And what we would do is we would put them to bed individually and, uh, and every night we would have this ritual. And how many of you know your kids start getting smarter as they get older and they prolong that ritual? Like it just gets longer and long. Come on, how many of you remember that? You know, it just gets longer. But there's some things that were a part of our ritual that we would do every night. We would have some little sayings that, uh, that I say with them every day and and then we would pray together. Now when, when Christy and I first had our kids, we would spend some time talking and thinking and, and praying and reading scripture and really deciding what we wanted to pray over each one of our kids before 
they went to sleep every night. So we've, we've prayed the same prayer over our kids, a different prayer for each one of them uh, every night. And the prayer that we would pray over Libby, the same prayer, we've been praying the same prayer for her her whole life. And, and, and that prayer was just simply that God would make her wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove, and that she would live for Jesus all the days of her life. And then we, I always pray, that I pray this for both kids, that Jesus would be the hero of their life and that they would become more and more like him every day. And then every, every night we say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and for, ra- for raising from the dead. You're the hero of our life. And then we would close out, and I'd close out with Libby, and then we'd go into Lincoln's room and we'd pray a different prayer. For Lincoln, we would pray, God, make him a man of courage who knows no fear but the fear of God. And let him be a leader among his peers. Jesus, may you be his hero. And may, may we thank you for dying on the cross and for raising from the dead. Thank you for being the hero of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. You say, what are you praying for Levi? We're still praying about what we pray for Levi. We don't have that one quite down yet. I want you to imagine that bedtime prayer. It's a prayer that we believe God gave us for each one of our kids. It's the prayer that we're praying actually comes into fruition and into reality. And what's amazing, mom and dad, is when you pray those prayers when they're little, and then as they get older, you start seeing those prayers actually develop into their life. And you start seeing them become the man or the woman of God that you prayed for them. And and I, I wonder... As I'm talking about praying prayers over my kids, I wonder what Paul would want to pray over his spiritual sons and his spiritual daughters. You know what? We don't have to wonder. Because the prayer that I'm about to read to you is actually the, if you want to consider it, the bedtime prayer that Paul is praying, and he's praying this over all of his sons and daughters in the faith at Ephesus. In fact, let's read that prayer together. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20, it says this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now get this, I want you to catch this now because Paul is actually saying to the the people of Ephesus, I want you to know that I'm praying for you on a consistent basis. And the first thing that he says is, I'm praying that you would know him better. Everybody say better. I'm praying that you would know him better. He's praying the same prayer that I'm praying for you this morning that you would know him better. And Paul gives us insight into church people here, and he gives us some insight, and he lets us know that 
There are many times that there is a difference. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. There's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God. In fact, the Greek word that Paul uses here is the word epignosko. And the word epignosko in this original language, actually what it means is it means to have a firsthand experience. In other words, those of you that have ever been to a Saints game, raise your hands if you've ever been to a Saints game, okay? How many of you know there's just a difference if you've been there than people that are talking about what it's like to be at a Saints game that have never experienced it? Hello? It's a firsthand experience. If you've been to Disney World, you've got a firsthand experience of what Disney World is actually like. Actually, it's one of the only places that I say actually lives up to the hype of what it actually is. There's a difference between a firsthand experience and knowing about something because you can memorize all of the different things about Disney World. You can memorize what all the rides are like. You can even memorize what the park is like. You can actually give people directions even though you've never been there, but there's something different that happens when you actually experience it firsthand. Hello? And Paul is saying, he's not using the word know as in, I want you to have knowledge. I want you to know more about in your head. I want you to know more about God. What he's saying is, I want you to have a first-hand experience at actually knowing God for yourself. Actually having this depth of intimacy, of relationship with God. And, you know, it's like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but how many of you just know there's some people when they talk about God, it's just different than everybody else? You ever been in a small group before in, in, in your small group because you're all in a small group at Saints Community Church? It's our main course. I know you're all in one. I don't even have to ask you if you're in one. I know you are. And so, but have you ever been in a, a small group setting at Saints Community, and when somebody else started talking about Jesus, it was just different. There was something in their eyes. There was something that lit up in their smile. It was like, we can have the same conversation about God. That person has a different kind of relationship with God. It's a different kind of of feeling, and, and what I would kind of compare it to is, and some of you maybe need to go back into like, junior high or high school or college when maybe you liked a girl and, and what you, you know she was your friend and, and, uh, and so you wanted to take the relationship to a, a different place, you know, but you know, some of you may remember the old song, but you say, friend, you know, and, and you wanted to take that, that relationship a, la- a layer deeper than it was, but you know, you were kind of falling for her, but she wasn't really falling for you, and, and uh, you were doing everything you can. It was a good relationship. It was fine. It was polite. It was respectful. Uh, there was nothing wrong with the relationship, but you wanted to take it a layer deeper, and they just wouldn't go there with you. Or maybe some of you, it's not the guy or the girl. Maybe some of you, it's, you know, a relationship with your son or daughter. Maybe you've got adult children and, and there's been a drift that has taken place and you keep trying to 
you know, take the relationship beyond Christmas and, and beyond the holidays and, and beyond just the niceties, the surface level conversation. You, you want to go deeper. You want to have a deeper relationship. You want to get to know them in a different kind of way. You, you want to go uh, a, a layer further down than, it, than the relationship is going, but they kind of hold you at an arm's distance. They, they're nice and nothing's wrong. There's no big arguments happening, but, but it's like they just won't really go there with you. Or maybe you've got a mom or a dad that maybe you're from a divorced home and you grew up in, in mom's house or in dad's house and so you don't really have a relationship with the other one. You've tried, you've tried to take that relationship to a different place, but but they just won't go there with you. Or maybe, and this is the, the one that's the hardest, but but there's many married spouses, married married couples that have this kind of relationship. Where you end up being kind of like more like business partners, you know, where you're kind of running this company called the Northup household, and and you know you've got you know all of these different uh, products that you're trying to to get out, you know, products being like Libby Northup and Lincoln Northup and Levi Northup, and 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 you know and you're, you've got this business arrangement with your spouse, and nothing's wrong, everything's okay, but there's a distance there. It's respectful, it's polite. And what happens is throughout the scriptures, we see this in God's relationship with humanity because God, even from the very beginning of time, even with Adam and Eve, he wanted there to be this intimacy in their relationship. You remember back in the garden where, where God was walking in the you know, cool of the day with Adam and Eve, and we see this relationship that God has wanted with humanity. In fact, if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, I have good news. If you're even considering becoming a Jesus follower, here's the good news for you. The good news is Christianity is actually the only thing out there that actually wants the God of our religion, the God of our religion actually wants a relationship with the people who are following him. That's what separates it from everything else. And we see this in scripture, where God wants to walk with humanity, and what God wants out of you and I is he wants intimacy, but instead, we settle for a second option. Many of us go through long seasons of, of our life where we settle for a second option, and that is religion. Intimacy and religion are different. In fact, religion is an option that allows us to treat God respectfully without having to treat God intimately. It's God and I are okay, it's all good, because what happens is we all grew up with formulas, didn't we? And, and whatever background you grew up in, we all grew up with different formulas. I, I grew up with the, in a, a kind of a Pentecostal charismatic background, and so you know we had our little formula, we would go to church. Back in those days, it was Sunday morning, and Sunday night, some of you are like, oh my word, you went twice in the same day. Yeah, we used to go Sunday morning and Sunday night, and then you spent a certain amount of time in the front, you know, of the service, kind of praying and, and you know, kneeling before the Lord, and, and, and then we, we would go every time the church doors were open, and then we tithed, and, and you know, which was giving 10% of our, our uh, income back to the Lord, you know, in our house, and, and then we would give to missionaries, 
and, and then there were certain things that we would and that we wouldn't do. There were certain movies that we would and that we wouldn't watch. There were certain things that we would or we wouldn't do in our house, that certain behaviors that were uh, acceptable and others of them weren't acceptable, you know, and it's interesting growing up, you know, as a Pentecostal charismatic, it was like, you know, we weren't allowed to drink, but, but we could eat as much as we wanted to, you know, like, you know, there, there was certain things, you know, and, and so I grew up with a certain formula, and, and maybe some of you grew up that same way, and, uh, and maybe you're here and you grew up with maybe a more liturgical background, maybe you grew up in a, a Catholic background, and for you, the formula probably looked a lot different, you know, there was probably certain prayers that you prayed, and, and you know, times of, of, you know, communion, and I, I, we can always tell the, the communion people in, in Saints Community, because uh, they'll they will, they're not that concerned about what's happening before in worship. They'll be in the lobby. In fact, you know, a lot of times during the praise and worship, but all of a sudden, uh, Christy will say, it's time for us to receive communion, and there's like a race of people that come in. Why? Because you haven't been to church unless you've received communion. That's a formula that, that you grew up with. And then a certain prayers that we prayed, certain, you know, our fathers, you know, this many times, and Hail Marys and whatever. Maybe you grew up with that kind of a formula, but what happens is we replace what God wants in intimacy with religion, and religion is set up as a formula, and what happens is it's, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, and at least most of them, but what happens is if we're not careful, the formulas begin to replace the relationship. And what I want you to do here this morning is I want you to evaluate. Because here's what happens with a message like this so many times. What happens is you go, oh, this is so good, so-and-so right there across the, you know, socially distanced from me. They really need this message. I know. I'm in their small group. They really need it. But here's how I want you to evaluate. Has there ever been a time that you were closer to God than you are right now? Because some of you can name a time where you were intimately connected to Jesus. Are you still there? Is it still happening? See, Jesus talks in John chapter 15 about this. He actually uses a word called abide. He said, I want you to abide in me. It's this closeness, this intimacy that Jesus said and said, in fact, he said, you can't even do this. This, this whole Christianity thing is impossible without abiding. How many of you know this thing called living for Jesus is, it's pretty simple, but it's not very easy. Hello? And Jesus is saying, apart from me, you can't even do it. You have to abide in me. You have to be close to me. You can't do this on your own. And then he goes on in John chapter 16, and this is what he says. He says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. So he's actually saying that, th that there is a time coming when you will not make it into heaven because you don't know the Father and you don't know me. And here's what's scary about passages like this in the Bible. Jesus is actually talking to people in the church. He's actually talking to people that would call themselves good Christians. 
And he says, you're a stranger to me. You're a stranger to my will. And I I just have a feeling someday that we're gonna be surprised when we get to heaven. I think we'll be surprised about who gets in and I think we'll be surprised about who doesn't get in because here's what I have to tell you. Getting into heaven and actually living for Jesus here on this planet isn't really about a formula. It's about this intimate connection that you have with God and anything that you do, any of those things is based out of that intimacy. So good, Pastor Wayne. Keep going. I will. Paul says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What a masterful wordsmith way to say that. I, I, I want the eyes of your heart. Imagine the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. I want you to get this in your heart. He's saying there's a shallow way of knowing God. I want you to not know God in that shallow way. I want you to know God in that deep, intimate way in your heart. And, and if, if you're taking notes, write this down. It says, I, I want you to, to understand that your walk with Jesus must move from your head to your heart. It must move from your head to your heart. Now, some of you are asking the question, and it's a good question, and I want to answer it. You say, okay, Wayne, and we get it. We get it. We, we Deep, intimate, all that. How? How do we get it? How do we get in that kind of a relationship with Jesus? How do we do that? Well, there's one word that is the solution for all of that. And it's the same word in the way that you develop an intimate relationship with anybody else. And that word is very simple. It's a four-letter word, only a good four-letter word. It's called time. Everybody say time. It's called time. Here's the secret. Less time with someone equals less love for someone. Here's another secret. More time with someone equals more love for someone. Some of you maybe that are trying to get the girl, here's a secret, I'm helping you. If she doesn't like you now, get her to spend lots of time with you. Because what happens? More time with someone equals more love for someone. Less time with someone equals less love for someone. And really what it's like, I kind of picture it like this. A lot of you are in a relationship with God when all you did was just read his online dating profile. I thought that was better than y'all did anyway. It's like you know all these things about him. Like you read his profile. Like you, you know, he, God likes nice long walks on the beach, you know, and, and you know, he likes, you know, crawfish, etouffee, and, and you know, he, you know you, you've read about him, you know his profile, but you've never been with him. You've never spent time with him. And that leads to this question, where is your time and place with God? See, this boils back to, it gets back to what we were at, where we were at last week. Prayer. Where is your time and where is your place with God? If you can look at me and say, I know my time, I know my place, there's a very good chance that you are walking in intimacy with God. 
there's a very good chance that you have that kind of a relationship with God. If you go, I don't know where my time, I don't know where my place, or my time, my place changes, or my time it depends, or you know, it's kind of like you know, in between this place and this place in the car, five minutes, and it, that goes back to what is the secret? What is the key in our relationship with God? It's the four-letter word. What is it? Time. Where is your time? Where is your place? Paul ends the passage by talking about the fact that I not only want you to know God intimately, I want you to know God's power. And there's several words that Paul gives us for power as the band comes forward. The first one is, he, want, he says, I, I want you to have dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamo or dynamite. It's like this inherent power that exists inside of us. The second one that he gives is a word called energia in the original language. That's where we get the word energy. Paul says, I want you to have dynamite power inside of you. I want you to have energy inside of you. And the energy he's talking about in this passage is actually an energy to get things done for God and to even walk through the sufferings of life. It's this ability to walk through whatever circumstances you have with the, that are going on. It's the energy for me to look at a surgery that's kind of complicated and kind of a big deal, and the surgeons are in the room with me, and, and they're saying, so you're gonna have to have surgery, and Christy and I together within Two seconds go, okay, great, give us the date, we'll be here. And they go, is that all? That, like, it's that simple? And I go, yeah, it's that simple, why? I've got energia, I've got power, I've got the ability to walk through whatever I've got to walk through because of Jesus in me. The last word is ishus, which is just the, another word for ability. So God gives us power, energy, and ability. When we walk with him intimately, you're going to have a different kind of power, a different kind of energy, and a different kind of ability to walk through life's circumstances because of Jesus inside of you. So what happens is nothing will phase you. If you're really intimately walking with God, coronavirus, nah, coronavirus, I'm walking with Jesus. Hello? I've got power, I've got dynamite, I've got energy, I've got ability in me because my, my relationship with Jesus is not a formula. If it's based on religion that's empty, it comes up second place, it comes up empty, it will not satisfy. Because it, you know this because when coronavirus hit, all of these people who called themselves believers were all freaked out all of a sudden, why? Because there's a difference between religion and intimacy. And when you have intimacy, you've got a different kind of power, energy, and a different kind of ability in your life. Let me give you just a few steps to building what I call your prayer muscle as we close. Some of you don't have, you don't know how to have that time and place. I just want to help you really quickly. First of all, set a good atmosphere. For me, a good atmosphere simply means music and a good place. I play worship music, by the way. It's like rap music. I love rap, but it's probably not going to help me get in the presence of God. You know, it's a, so I, I just have some worship music playing. For some of you, you don't need music. You maybe just need a quiet place. 
But build an atmosphere in that time and place. Wherever your time and place is, build that atmosphere. Remove distractions from the atmosphere. One of the, the places that I used to pray all the time was in hotel rooms. And because I was traveling and speaking all over the country, and so I'd, I'd be in these hotel rooms praying, and a distraction for me is mirrors. Mirrors just distract me. And so it's vain, I know, but you know, I'd kind of walk by the mirror. I'd be praying, talking to the Lord, and just, oh, how you doing there? <laughs> I see why Christy married you. You know, that kind of thing. So remove distractions from your atmosphere. Number two, use scripture. The greatest prayer that I pray almost every day of my life is, is the disciples' prayer, what Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Psalms, many times, I use the Psalms. I, I pray those out loud. So I use scripture when I pray. Then I also involve my whole body. There's some of you that are really good at sitting in one place and praying Sitting in one place equals sleep for me. So I, I use my body. I, I get my body involved. And I find out the more that I get my body involved, the more my spirit then follows. Here's another one. Pray with other believers. We have Friday noon prayer here. Come here and pray or pray online with us on Friday uh, noon prayer. But praying with other believers helps me. And then I have a certain prayer list that I have. Some of, some of you can use cards that you, you can, and, and you can flip through those cards. I have a, a list of things and people that I'm praying for that I update as often as I can, and that helps me know how to pray. And then last, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That prayer language is something that I pray in every single day. I wish we had time to hang out there more and I could talk to you about that. I'll just say, ask your small group leader. They'll be able to help you with that. And I'll add one. Make sure your prayers are just an honest conversation with God. You know what God wants to hear from you? The truth. Guess what? Let me give you a secret. He already knows. If you're frustrated, you don't have to hide that from God. He knows. So don't come into the presence of God like with this real religious kind of, oh, hallelujah, thou art thine God. I give thee my life. Come into God's presence and say, God, I, I'm mad at that dude. I'm mad at my boss. I'm frustrated right now. God will go, it's okay, let's talk about that. Just honest prayers, honest connection with God. You know who the greatest example of this was? The greatest example of walking intimately with Father God was Jesus. In fact, watch this. Luke 5.16 says this. It says, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness. And what would he do? He would pray. He would slip away and pray. Some of you need to make that the theme of your life. Slip away and pray. Slip away and pray. I want to read this passage of scripture as we close to you today because this will help paint the picture for you of the kind of relationship that God wants with all of us in this room. The kind of relationship that he's desiring. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, it says this. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. 
and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn, this is so powerful, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. How many of you want to live freely and lightly? You don't have to live heavy. You don't have to live bound. If you'll walk in intimacy, you can live freely and lightly. 